know if you're interested, but some of these things are some of the questions that I would have liked to have gotten into. And if you know, you're welcome to go ahead and continue on with your quiet little talking together. But for those of you who aren't engaged in, in something related to this, I want I would like to have you listen to what these guys brought up because it is really helpful. The first thing that was said here is that uh, when you do the soft answer, when you do that, you catch people off guard. The first skit, um, and the first thing that I, I should have done it because we had plenty of time, I would ask for two volunteers to come up and I would ask one, one them to stand like this and I would whisper in the ear of one volunteer, push against the hands, of, they'd be holding their hands like this. And what's the automatic happens if somebody is standing against you and pushes against your hands? You push back, okay? And that's automatic for almost all of us, it's our sinful nature. And so what you're trying to do is not push back in trying to give a bit, you know, as Jesus said, not revile back, overcome evil with good, and, and turn the other cheek, and all of those things. And so there's a certain element to that. However, someone rightly pointed out that in the, pro, in the skit, and I'm glad it shows it in the skit because I think it's realistic. In our family, I had a daughter who didn't even like uh, the skill of affirmation after she got older. Now, the very, we don't teach the skill of affirmation here, and it is a skill, but it is a way of appreciating things that people have a control over. It's a, it's a simple skill. And if we affirmed her, she would say, don't do that psychology stuff on me. If, she, if you fogged her, she would say, I don't like your psychology stuff. You know, she picked it up. She knew the stuff. Because we went home, when we learned this stuff and taught our kids, right? And she knew it, and she could pick it up and when she was in rebellion, she hated it, okay? Now, someone said they saw this girl here fogging, and when the f she said, you know, I, it's true, I don't, I don't mind being late as much as you do, and it's true, I don't mind tardies as much as you do. In some situations, that could come off as sarcastic, and fogging can come off as sarcastic. Well, you're not putting the problem, you're putting the problem on them, because mm -hmm. they're too tight about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and so you have to, that, uh, that is a little bit, but that's, that is a good example of how you have to be really be careful about that. The other thing is that somebody indicated that it's true, I, um, it's true, or what is the other one? That's right, or something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, those may not be your favorite lead-ins because in some ways you're thinking it's not true. However, the idea is to state the element of truth. So what you're saying, it's true that I don't always arrive places on time. You know, and some people are thinking if you say it's true, the other person would say, well, it is true. The whole thing I said to you is true, and you have to be careful about that. So you might want to just say, as Barbara, what were you saying that you just said? You didn't use a lead-in. Yeah, I do have a problem. Yeah, I do. Or, um, which is like saying yes, I do, or, you know, whatever. And remember, I suggested you pick a lead-in that represents your least offensive and defensive modality and start using that. The only reason I believe in lead-ins, and you're going to hear them again in the next se session, is that for me, for people like my husband, he doesn't hardly need a lead-in. But for people like me, if somebody if somebody comes at me, whoo, I got this stuff rising up in me real fast, right?
right? And it's very powerful. And I have to have something to do when my brain is uh, hampered by this. And so I, I memorize lead-ins to help me. And I also memorize lead-ins to help me do a certain skill even when I'm not angry, such as we're going to talk about um, the supportive listening and lead-ins for that is real helpful because then you go straight to supportive listening. It's just it just helps you get there. So sometimes I find that I'm if I memorize some lead-ins that it's easier for me. The other thing is your voice will tell you whether or not you're being sarcastic or not. Okay, if, and and you need to as you if you if you as you're moving into fogging, you need to intentionally and immediately trigger. Um, a humble spirit because you're trying to diffuse and this is why peacemakers do it so well because they really want peace bad okay some of us who carry a sword at our side and don't mind getting it out there and sashaying a little bit with it right we're not so hung up on whether we get peace we want to win right we want to win we want to prove that we're right and we're willing to fight a bit for it because I think I can convince you I'm right and you're not right and but the peacemakers don't carry a sword at their side and so they just want to back off and get everything all nice you know and they do it so much better that's why whenever we do this and the DVD by the way has my husband doing it uh, he's asked me to tell you all to please forgive him he is a dynamic speaker and he really connects with his audience but he had to do this in front of two cameras and he could not connect with the cameras. So it, content is there with lots more Bible verses and other stuff, but he's stoved up. He's not talking normally. <laughs> he doesn't, he's a concrete learning, kind of doesn't have a big imagination. He can't picture a bunch of people they're talking, he's talking to. So anyway, uh, but the content is there in that fogging DVD. Real good. So any other things that we want to say about this particular thing? These, these people that came have very good, not only does cultures, that not only will a culture interpret sarcasm and offensiveness here, but uh, individuals will. So you've you got to figure out a, a way that fits for you to come across really truly like you want peace. Something, um, a minor suggestion, I learned a while ago that um, not everybody has the same vocabulary. In other words, things have different meanings. Some people have difficulty saying you're right. And for a lot, one of the suggestions I got was don't use our vocabulary. Take what you like and create your own. Mm -hmm. And um, come up with different things to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you got to say it in your own in your own language. There's no doubt about it. Now, our next one is on Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, and it is going to teach about two or three skills in making sure those things happen well. So, uh, we'll start those in about 5 minutes. But I appreciate the remarks that y'all made at the end here, and I think that's very valid, very valid. I guess that when somebody insults you and says you're useless, are you going to tell them you're right? Okay. <laughs> How would you fog somebody saying you are useless? How many have ever had a parent say that to you when you were a kid or heard a parent say that? Or you are the worst kid in the world or you're the dirtiest kid on the, in the world or whatever. We do have that sometimes, okay? But if somebody said to you, you are so useless, totally useless, what would you fog it with? Probably depends on the context, but you might say, I haven't been as helpful as I would like to have been here. 
Okay. If you're, I mean, it depends on, like, if you're out doing horses and you've never, like, take our, we have horses. I've never dealt with horses, say, for example. So, yeah, I'm not as good with horses as I could be or I haven't had experience with horses. Or you might say, yeah, uh, I haven't stepped up to the plate to be as useful in this situation as I probably could be. Yeah. It, it would kind of... Admitting you're not as useful as you could be. I mean, they're also Generally, giving them a detail of what you're not being useful, like in the area, like, yeah, you're right, I'm not use, being as useful in computers or something. Mm-hmm. Good experience, yeah. I can sure see where you would see that. I feel like I've been all thumbs. I haven't really done anything. You need to confront somebody with an issue. Like, you need to go to that person. That's the next session. (laughs) (laughs) That's the next session. We're going to give you some skills, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. I personally, like, with my family, I've been lecture on, like, just telling me, like, that I won't live long because I just let people, like, walk on me. They're like, you need to be bold, you need to speak up. So that's, like, what I Okay, there are some techniques in assertiveness, which we aren't covering in this session, but we'll have a DVD out on assertiveness, how to stand up. And for, well, for what you know is best for you without trampling on other people's rights. Okay? So if you've got your name on there when we get those out and your email, you'll get an email about it and you can ask for it. Um, in, many, in, in confronting people, I think it's really, really important to... Um, uh, to make sure that you're doing it. Like, for instance, you talked here about your parents or somebody did, your parents being so hostile. Was it you that talked about that? You don't try to straighten them out in the midst of their hostility. You're only deflecting the anger. After everything's calm, the, later that night, the next morning, you come and you say, can we talk about this? And quietly, without a conflict present, you discuss it. Okay? That's the only time you work it out. Don't ever try to work something out in the heat of anger. It is almost guaranteed to fail. And if that's been 90% of your efforts to talk with your parents about something, then no wonder you failed. What happens if they ignore you? Like, for instance, once I was trying to talk to my mom about something, and she just kept, she just put up the volume to the TV. <laughs> okay, what would you say? What would you say? You would have to address that behavior. I would say, well, you're turning up the volume. I'm taking that as an indication this isn't a good time. Could we set a time where we could talk? That's exactly what came to my mind. Mom, I'm sensing that I'm interfering with you watching TV because you're having to turn the volume up to hear it. The first thing is to pick a good time. Are mm-hmm. you doing this during her favorite show of the week, the one show no. she gets, you know? No. They're just picking the timing, picking the... She was just avoiding the whole situation because I was already upset. And yeah. Like, she's well, just, that's another... Not okay, you don't want to be upset. You don't want her to be upset. I can assure you that there were issues, however, that I could not talk to my mother with any time in her life. She could, especially if it had to do with things that I wished would be changed about how she was managing things. And so I had to learn to live with that. Okay? But you always try. And you always seek ways to make it less uh, threatening. And, you know... (laughs) You just still try. It, I think we, we're wired, most of us, to want 
to have resolution, to reconciliation. We we wired to hate barriers. Now there are some people that aren't, I guess. Um, and again, maybe turtles more than anyone else because they like the cozy. Because my husband. Um, he could go a long, long time without trying to resolve a barrier if, if I let it. With me, I don't even like to go to the nighttime without resolving the barrier. I just don't. Um, I can't go to sleep with it eating on me. And so that's kind of how it was. I think we're about ready to start here. I didn't think about that whole counting to three before you answer somebody. I think that's a good technique if it works for you. Gives you some time to think. Time is always helpful. Some of us may have And how you do this with somebody that hits you broadside with something and you sense that you're not thinking straight for some reason, you can actually say, you've got a valid point. Can you give me a few minutes to just think about it? I'd like to come back in about 10 or 15 minutes and talk to you about it because it's important to me. Or sometimes I will say to someone, I feel like this is worth focused attention and right now I'm distracted. Could I come back in a 15 minutes and we can talk about it? And the same thing with phone calls. I'll get a phone call and I can tell it's really critical and, and I'm distracted with something in my house or whatever. And real frequently, just this week, at least twice, I said, I can tell that this is worth my focused attention and I can't give it right now. Could I please come back in 15 minutes and call you again and we can talk about this. And I've never run into anybody who, they might say, well, I'm going to be out of range at that time, so you call me in an hour. And I'll say, okay, that's good. I'll call you at 6, you know. But give yourself time to, to get filled again with God's spirit and to calm down. And uh, when, I, when I've had somebody who comes to me and says, I need to talk to you about something and I have a hunch that it is a problem area, I, I really appreciate giving myself some time to really take it to Jesus and think about it, and it works so much better. But when you're in a dynamic group and you get broadsided, um, yeah, counting to three, taking some deep breaths might help. Come on in. we got lots of space. Okay, we're going to get started here in a few minutes. Let's have prayer. Father in heaven, again, I want to ask you to be with us. Um... This is, a, a, I think, a very important component to you. You've certainly given us some evidence of that in the Word. Um, don't always approach it this way. In fact, this is the first time I put these uh, components together. And I ask that you will give me an extra measure. These folks are here sincere to learn. Please help me not to leave out anything that would make a difference in anyone's life here and help me to present it in such a way that they can take it and practically use it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you, this is your first session with me. Okay.
Um, those of you who've been here before, let me give the foundational from Luke 252. I first want to say there's DVDs that will cover this. If you're not going to be at the booth tonight and you want a DVD, you can take them down here afterwards. What are the booths? The booths in the back of the gym. And the booth is, it has Miracle Meadows School written across it. And then Mountain Meadows Media Ministry, that's our ministry. Um, and uh, we basically do it at Miracle Meadows and Mountain State Academy. Um, and we're focusing in the social domain. And I just want to review that in Luke 2.52, we know that Jesus grew in four domains, the mental, the physical, the social, and the spiritual. Um, actually, it's the spiritual and the social. Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. Four domains. And I've made the point in the other sessions that as a church and as Christians, we have intentionally addressed the mental. We run the largest Protestant school system in the world. We've in intentionally addressed the body. We have all kinds of resources for healthful living, prevention, hospitals for sick people. Um, we are very much into the body, okay? We have a health message that focuses on that. We are very much into the spiritual. Uh, not only at our colleges and seminaries, but our short-term mission training, evangelism training, things like that. And in all, in all our schools, there's components of the spiritual that's very strong. What we have not intentionally taught to is the human relationship component, the social domain. You are hard-pressed to get intentional classes in high school and grade school that is systematically teach that, right? Anybody have an exception to that in their life? They really felt like they were well taught in schools and in the church, in the social domain. I'd love to know. Come on in, folks. Come right on in. If you have, because my experience was it was not. We reach our adulthood with deficits in this area. Now, what has traditionally happened through the centuries is that when people get in trouble in the social domain, we are encouraged to go back to the spiritual domain. Pray more, get closer to Jesus, go talk to the pastor. All right? But we're smart enough to know that the spiritual domain, the conversion process, does not teach us our academics, our computer, our English, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So we have schools and we teach that separately. We are smart enough to know that just because you're converted doesn't mean you know how to take care of your body. And we take, and the same with the spiritual. We even, just because you're converted doesn't mean that you don't need more Bible, spiritual, Christian living kind of things. Come right on in. We're, we're fine with that. Um, but for some reason, if somebody is going through a divorce and they don't know how to handle the situation with their kids and how their kids are responding, we will pray with them and say, Sister, just get close to Jesus. He's your answer. Right? Have you ever heard that? Okay? I've got a teenager that I think is using drugs. You know what? We just need to pray about it, brother. Okay? <laughs> The truth of the matter is, Christ grew in four domains, and we should be teaching in four domains intentionally. And it is the uh, goal of 4M to focus 
a bit more, if not almost primarily, in the social domain. And if you want to be kept abreast of the DVDs that we produce, you leave your email or your physical address here with Barbara, who's sitting at the end there, and as we produce them, we will send them to you. Okay, or not send them to you. You, we, Well, yes, we will if you've written which ones, or we'll send out what we've produced and you can tell us if you want it. You can email back and say, I'd like a copy of this. Okay, uh, these are free. We are a ministry. Of course, we also hope and pray and trust that God will provide funding through people who are touched by the ministry. But we do not charge for these, okay? So um, that's, that's where we're at. And I was asked to do the three series in Christian conflict resolution. We have covered the consensus model, which we have a DVD here for if there's some left, which is the win-win way. Everyone's a winner of handling a conflict. It is a executive corporation, na nation against nation, corporation against corporation way of handling them. And they pay many, many hundreds of dollars, thousands even, to send their leadership away to learn how to do consensus model. The second one was on fogging, which is the soft answer that turns away wrath. Okay? And we just learned that. Practice it a little bit, saw it practiced. And now what we're going to do is centered in two sections of the Bible, Matthew 18 and Matthew 5. We're going to let these folks take a seat. Come right on up, folks. Don't be bashful. We want you to turn, if you will, to Matthew 18. We're going to read verses 15 to 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now we're going to stay this side of the church. To the, our part, I want to ask you something. Is this literal? Is it literal? Did God mean for us to do these exact steps? Now you can say, well, how many of you think it's literal? Let's see your hands. How many of you are unsure or believe it is not literal, that we're not to do it? Okay, that's good. Because you know, some things in Matthew 18 aren't literal. At least I don't think. Can you give me an example? Why don't you turn to um, to Matthew 18? No, it's in Matthew 5. Well, let, let's come to that a little later. Well, we might as well take it now. Matthew 5. Okay. It's Matthew 5, 29 and 30. Okay, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast you from you. I have been in a lot of different denominations. I have yet to see a church full of blind people that are handless. <laughs> Why don't we do it? He said it plainly. 
We take that in terms of symbolism, right? I mean, we have to. So that is this in Matthew 18 literal? Do you believe it's literal? Do you believe that he means that if you have something against somebody, you are to go to them and express the problem? Do you believe that? Mm -hmm. Okay, now I want to ask you another question. How many of you have been in a situation where you've seen this done right up to where they take two or three? How many of you have seen it done? Please raise your hand. Ooh, not even 50%. I've seen it, like, they skip the first two and they do the last one. They go right to the church and take care of them and treat them like a heathen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many of you, I don't know how to ask this, but let's go ahead and ask in the positive. Some of you may be too humble to raise your hand, but I really would like to get a hand here. How many of you live by this? When you have a barrier, you faithfully go to that person and make it right. Let's see your hands. Okay. Uh, about, a, about a fourth of us. How, why don't the rest of us do this? First off, let me ask you, how many of you, of the rest of you who, have, who didn't raise your hand, have never had a barrier with another person? Please let us know if you're that kind of a person. I'd like to talk with you. I would like to ask them to give you the next series so you can share your secrets. Nobody raised their hand. Are you sure you're just not being humble? You're being, you've never had a barrier with anyone. Okay, am I correct in assuming that the rest of you have had barriers, but you have not followed Matthew 18? Is that a correct assumption? Now let's ask you why. Why? There are some reasons why we don't do this that I have a hunch of. Tell me why you haven't gone to make it right. I'm an introvert. You're an introvert. Don't it's like Don't like conflict, okay? You know how to address the problem. What? They didn't know how to address it. You did ignorance. You don't know how to address the problem. Okay, what else? Too proud. How many of you have heard it say that? They have a, you know, that's their problem, not mine. How many of you have ever heard anybody say, let sleeping dogs lie? They are not making an issue out of it. I'm sure not going to do that. Okay? That's to kind of avoid the conflict. Easy to talk to someone else who's not involved. Yeah, talk to somebody else about it instead of the person it belongs to, yes? The situation gets worse. Yes. When you confront the person and it's just the situation. How many of you have ever had the situation get worse? Whoa. Okay. So that generates fear, right? If you're not experiencing success, then it's fear that's driving you because you don't want more failure, correct? Okay. All right, we're going to do the same thing with Matthew 8, uh, 5. Let's go to Matthew 5. And we're going to look at 23 and 24. This is right before the cut off your hand and poke out your eye. So in the same chapter, we have something that I think we all believe we should be doing because it's, we can take it literally and something that we don't practice and are not probably going to encourage anybody to practice, okay? And that's the blind yourself and cut off your hands. You only have two steins, chances at taking this literally with your hands and two chances with your eyes. I had a very nice blind man that I knew. He visited our academy. He was a friend of our girls, Dean. And he really, inter come on in, folks, if you want to. We do have some seats here. Uh, we, he interfaced with us students, and he said, let me tell you. 
Taking out your eyes doesn't stop that sin. It, if it worked, it'd be worth it. But it doesn't work. You still have the sin. It's in your mind. You'd have to do a brain removal. <laughs> okay? So I think we know that sort of. But let's go to this one. This one is the, we all know, we're all pretty familiar with that, Matthew 18. In fact, our grievance procedure in our school is built on Matthew 18. It needs to be revised and have Matthew 5 in. It's the other side. And it says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. How many of you knew this one? Some of you didn't know it even. Tell me what is the gift that is being brought to the offer. Give me that setting. What is the setting for this? The lamb, redemption. Uh, but where? Cleansing. But where did it take place? At the temple. It's the church service, is it not, sort of? You get the idea of church? You're coming to bring your gift before what altar? The altar in church, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, wherever. It's worship. And I want to ask you another question. I'd like to see your hands up, honestly. How many of you, and mine's already up there, have ever learned from somebody else that someone else was offended by you? Anybody here? Okay. Now, how many of you didn't go to worship until you took care of that? Now, I want to tell you something. Right now, I've made an appointment I did it last week. I have been trying to get two people, particularly one, but I think the other person, who I've heard has a barrier with me. I went to that person and said, I want to work this out, and that person said, let me pray about it. Last week, it had been several weeks, and I went to this person and said, I'm still waiting. <laughs> and this person said, I'm still praying. So I said, to, I called a staff member at our campus that I know these, these people are tight with. And I have a warm relationship with this person too. Relatively new person on campus, but we have a lot of things we share together. And I said, would you mediate? Can I set a date? And we picked Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning. Now I have to get the other two people. But this person has agreed to try to persuade them because I said, you know what? I am, I am mandated, compelled, and urged by Christ to do this. And I can no longer have peace. And you're about to go on vacation and so are they. And I want to get this worked out. Okay? Now, being a skunk, <laughs> those of you who missed this, the extroverts are called skunks, the introverts are turtles, and I am double whammy extrovert, and skunks stamp their feet to warn, and then they make out stinks. They don't have shells to crawl into, right? My husband, is a, he has a shell, and he can nicely disappear, and I can beat on it all I want and tell him to come out and face the music, and he can just stay in there, okay? I don't have a place to crawl into. And I can remember times telling him, honey, it's not fair. I wish I had a shell. Any of you ever felt that way? If you're skunks? I wish I had a shell. You get the shell, I got the stink. I don't like the stink. It, it's, it, nobody likes it out there. No one likes it. They don't mind the shell, you're not doing any damage. 
But anyway, being a skunk, believe me, this has been a big part of my life. Also being very assertive, strong, and at times intimidating, which as a temperament trait I hated about myself, and for probably 12 to 15 years of our marriage, I worked hard to train, to change. However, when you start a school for troubled youth, kids who run in gangs, kids who have you know, kept their parents totally as basket cases, who have gotten kicked out of every school they've been in, have been before the court, have been behind jail and, and behind bars, you, you need some assertiveness. And it served me well in my school. So I'm no longer as bad about it. But assertiveness can make you intimidating. Right? I've had people who've gotten close to me and say, Gail, the first time I met you, you were intimidating to me. You just come across so strong. I hate that about myself, you know? But I, I just do it without thinking. So when I was running the school, when I brought a new staff member in, I brought them in and sat them down, and we talked about a lot of stuff, and one of the things I talked about was me. And I said, I will someday step on your toes. I'm pretty certain. I want to tell you that I want to hear about it. I want you to come to me and talk to me about it. I, I want you to know the door is always open. If you find me too intimidating to come to me, here are three people who do come to me, and they will come to me with your concern. Go to them. They're not so intimidating. So I had frequent information from my people, my three, that I had stepped on somebody's toes and they're too scared to come to me, right? Am I mandated by God to go to them or is that their problem? We just read it. How many times have I heard people say, she got a problem with me, that's her problem. Anybody ever heard that? That's her business, not mine. She wants to talk to me about it, that's her business. I'm not going to her. She's got the problem. I don't have the problem. Okay, you are not living in the Lord when you do that. God has said, if you are there at my worship, you've come to worship me, and you've brought a gift. And later in this talk, we're going to talk about what that gift is. We're going to talk about forgiveness and how it's linked to this gift. This is not just any gift. This is my offering. And what do we bring offerings for in the sacrificial system? To obtain forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. This is the lamb that carries our sins. So now we can say, if we come before the Lord to obtain forgiveness, and we remember that somebody is offended by us, leave that gift there. Now, it doesn't say take your gift and leave. <laughs> Jesus wants us back there. Right? He does. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Leave that petition before me, my child. Because I'm, I'm waiting to forgive you. I, I have already. You're going to experience it, but you're not going to experience my forgiveness until you've gone and taken care of over here. So go take care of it and then come back and offer you and, and receive your forgiveness. And we're talking more about that. It's a powerful concept. Anyway, that's how important it is to God that we straighten out the offenses other people have against us. My husband doesn't have very many of those in his life, a few. I envy him. 
he just doesn't offend people too much. A few. Usually offended by his sins of omission. He says, honey, we both sin. You sin by sins of commission, the stink. <laughs> I sin by sins of omission, my shell. I don't do it, but it bugs some people. You do it, and that bugs some people, right? But he doesn't do it as often as I do. So he, uh, he hasn't had to practice this like I've had to practice it. Once again, as I told you, these things were forged in my weaknesses, right? Not my strengths. So I don't stand up here as the almighty know-it-all. I am still a struggling sinner. These are things that I discovered that help me. And I'm sharing it with you because in some of your cases, you might take this and run with it. And that's what I would want, right? So as my husband would say, and I said before, I'm a beggar telling other beggars where to go for bread. So let's take a look at this. All right. We don't often do these things because we're afraid of failure. We don't know what to do. We want to leave the sleeping dogs lie. It's not my problem, it's theirs. We have all our reasons for not doing them. And yet it doesn't take the command out of the Bible. When we think, and it was brought out somewhat in our sermon last night, but when we think of what really matters to God, even when it comes down to separating the goats from the sheep, what is the criteria? It's our interpersonal relationships, right? When I was hungry, you came to me. When I was in jail, you visited me. You know, God is really into our interpersonal relationships. This is why it grieves me that as churches, we have not focused on the human element and taught skills that make us more effective. There are denominations that do this. Can you think of the denomination that is famous for peacemaking? Uh -uh. Oh my goodness, they walk with a sword drawn. No, but they are into the family. Quakers. Quakers. Quakers run a whole service to America in peacemaking. Uh, we're talking about mediation and all kinds of things. Quakers have the books and the, and the curricula and stuff on a lot of this. I've not been used to, I mean, I've not gotten access to a lot of it, but as a denomination, they are known for peacemaking. They are peacemakers. Wouldn't it be wonderful if as a denomination we were known as people who could help prevent, pre prevent um, divorce, to pre prevent uh, conflict between kids and parents, to resolve these issues. Go to the Adventist. Have you been to the Adventist church? That somebody would say when they come and say they're having a problem. The Adventist church, they've got people there that know how to help. You need to go see the Adventists. Boy, they really are good with families. You need to go see the Adventists. They do really great premarital counseling. You need to go see the Adventists. They're heavy into divorce preve uh, prevention. You need to go see the Adventists. They can teach you all about how to talk to each other. Nobody thinks of the Adventists when it comes to that. In fact, we have probably as much problem, if not more, than the secular world. In some areas, we have more. Um, fortunately, the areas that we have more in, we are just now recently getting so that we can deal with it. And one of those areas is incest. 
The more conservative the church, the more higher their rate of incest, and Adventists are very high. We don't talk about it. If you ever work with Adventist kids, so you'll know. And if you ever work with Adventist women, the ratio in this public is one to three or four women are violated before they reach 18. It's easily that high in the church. But what happens when somebody wants to talk about it, people don't know how to deal with it, and very often they do second time abuse by not dealing with it properly. Okay? So, as a church, we need this. So let's go. What I want to do here today is take these two models and we're going to look at some skills, some basic skills, in, um, and I don't have videos on these, okay? When I, I, this is a, uh, one that I'm still developing, but uh, I do have a couple of daughters here. I'm going to see if I can um, get them to come up here and are kind of on the spur of the moment. There is a proverb, and the other sad thing about this is that I didn't bring my notes on this, so I've been sitting here since I've been here trying to redevelop my notes, right? And on top of it, the Bible that I used to do it about three days ago got soaked. So I'm using a Bible, and you know how it is when you get a new Bible and you can't find the stuff in it? So somewhere in Proverbs, <laughs> there's a, a verse that says, he who answereth a matter before he's heard it is a fool. And so we're going to talk about that skill. And that skill is called a lot of things. It's called reflective listening. It's called supportive listening. It's called, what else, Barbara? Active listening. It's the kind of listening that makes sure that you've understood the other person and that they're heard. And that you're, and that they know that they're heard. Okay, you know you've heard them. They know you've heard them. It's true listening. Hearing is with your ears. Listening is with your your heart, your mind. Mostly with your heart, because active or supportive listening is honing in on the feelings. Okay, um, might have time for this. Might not. Uh, do I have four volunteers? Real quickly, come up front. Four volunteers. Okay. Yeah, who do I have? Make, get my outgoing people here, my extrovert. I want you to stand in line. I need one more. Okay, I got a volunteer here. Um, you guys are only going to say um, this sentence. You're inviting her to the party. Can you say that with me? You're inviting her to the party. Okay. You're going to say it with absolute disgust because you thought the lady that's ha the girl that's having the party didn't get along and you were grateful this person didn't come because she causes trouble. So you're going to say you're inviting her to the party and express your anger, upsetness, okay. You happen to like this girl and you're excited, okay. You happen to know that the two of these were in conflict and you're shocked. Okay, and you're going to express this with a sense of kind of, this is the hardest one. You're going to be sort of jealous, like 
I can't believe you're doing this to me. Right. You know, okay? All right, so you're inviting her to the party. Let's hear it. You're inviting her, her to the party? You're inviting her to the party? <laughs> now you tell him. You're surprised. You're shocked. They were fighting not very many days ago. Now this, you can say it to me like I'm the one that had the party. You're inviting her to the party? Okay, good. Okay. You're inviting her to the party? Okay, give him a hand. All right. <laughs> Sit down, folks. We express our emotions not through our words mostly, but through our nonverbals, right? And we are honing in on feelings when we do reflective listening. All right? If you were going to respond to one of these people, and you were going to do reflective listening, and you hear the first person who's angry, and there she's saying, you're inviting her to the party? You wouldn't say, you're, now you, the reflective listening or the supportive listening is basically paraphrasing in your own words what you've heard that person say, focusing in on the feelings. You wouldn't say, yes, I'm inviting her to the party, or, oh, you, you uh, want to know if I'm inviting her to the party? <laughs> no, you're going to say what? Well, it sounds like you're upset. It sounds like you're upset that I'm inviting her to the party. Is that true? <laughs> and she will then say, and it depends on who it is, how many of you had this response? No, no, I'm not upset. <laughs> Have you ever gotten that response? So you'd say, wait a minute, if I'm reading you correct, you seem upset, I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, what are you feeling if you're not upset? I don't see sense happiness there. And so you hone in and you're staying with them till you finally get the person to say, yeah, I am actually kind of upset. Or, you know what, I can't believe you invited her. You know how she makes such a mess of every place she goes. She causes a scene. She's nothing but a drama queen. Okay? And then you're going to, and then what would you say back to that if you're doing reflective listening? You're afraid that if she comes to the party, she's going to cause a big drama. Okay, do you see how you're saying the fears, the motion there? You are trying to make sure you've heard this person. Now, what does this have to do with Matthew 18 and at Matthew 5? When you go, you want to be sure you're listening to these people. And many times we don't know how to do it. And you do it first by making sure you've heard them correctly. And you hone in on the feelings, not the words. Because the words is not where the true message is. Now, sometimes the words is going to tell you a situation. And you might say, oh, yeah, you're remembering that party that we had, that get-together we had over at John Boys and the big scene she created there, right? And those are words. And, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm remembering. So that's fine, but you're up, that you're now you're afraid that if she comes to this party, she can do the same thing. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Okay, now you've honed in. Now you've connected with the heart. Now you've touched the emotions. Now you can address the issue, right? So reflective listening is a summarizing back in your own words. How many of you ever taken reflective listening? Social workers? <laughs> Counseling students? This is foundational ABC communications class. They don't teach you this in communications? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. 
All right, this is foundational stuff, really foundational. You'll find scads of ways to use it once you learn it, okay? But it is a way of helping people feel heard and for you finding out what the real issue is. It's reflecting. Now, do not parrot. The first person who ever taught me reflective listening again was in a setting in Southern California, not necessarily a Christian setting at all. Um, and this counselor said, oh, I got so excited when I learned reflective listening, I would go to my wife and she'd say, oh my goodness, I am so sick of this meal. Honey, you're sick of the meal. <laughs> yes, I burnt the casserole. You burnt the casserole. <laughs> and, and I don't know what else to fix that we need to eat and we've got company tonight. You were because we we got company coming tonight. And she finally say, quit mimicking me. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, you don't want to do that. Remember, you're after the heart. You're after the emotions. And you want to say it in your things, but you don't want to parrot. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So that's kind of how reflective listening is. Uh, you want to not answer a matter until you've heard it. And what you're really after is more than the words, it's the heart and the emotion. Okay? All right. Um, lead-ins. I have lead-ins for this one for me. And I actually was taught lead-ins. They were written in books. So I'm going to share them with you. It seems to me that you, what I hear you saying is, are you telling me that Da, 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 da. Learn the lead-ins. You cannot not do reflective listening hardly at all if you don't answer those. What I'm hearing you say is, well, you can do parroting, so you got to be sure to head, hone in on the heart. That's true. It seems to me that you are feeling upset or feel um, discouraged or we're really feeling betrayed because of what happened, okay? That's what you do. And those are the lead-ins that go with, um, with reflectively listening, okay? Does that make, does that make sense to you? Okay. Now the next one is fogging. How many of you he were not here for fogging? Okay, I'm going to review fogging very briefly, or maybe everybody else can help me. When you go to make something right with somebody that you have offended, are you likely to hear it? Yeah. Are you likely to get put down? Are you likely to have someone say, of course I'm mad at you? I mean, you always forget things. I made, I made a special effort to tell you that I needed you to pick that up and bring this to here and you didn't and you acted like it was no big deal. That's the second time you've done something. You got a place where you're going to fog, right? You always do this. So fogging is agreeing with the element of truth in something. So, and there is a DVD here on fogging. If you, and it is basically where you would say, what? Anybody got an idea? Can you practice it? You always forget everything, huh? You have a point there. I, what? I do forget things, yes. And you are correct. I did forget to bring your stuff. And it didn't even matter to you. You didn't even apologize like I felt like you should. You just went, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, and so you could, you know, I mean, you know, you could get into a bunch of fogging there, right? And a bunch of listening, and then you might say, okay, let me see if I, I can hear you out. The real problem between you and I right now 
is that I violated your trust when you counted on me to bring that to this place and I didn't bring it. And that was a betrayal to you. And then that person will say, yeah, that's it. And that's not all. <laughs> I have this and this and this that makes me mad at you too. Okay? So, you're going to get it when you go. But if you know how to fog and you know how to do some reflective listening, don't you see how it might turn out better? Can you not see even now how it could be more focused on success rather than shambling and melting into failure? You just keep practicing these skills and using them and talking to the people. Yes? I have a situation where I found out that I was being accused of something and then I had to and But so when I went and I had to confront the, the situation, they kept on accusing me, but the reality was that to some degree they had just misunderstood everything. And so I was just kept on being accused and accused, and I was just like, like it, it didn't get resolved at that moment. Okay, let me give you, so first off, you make sure you do reflective listening and you do some fogging. If they, it was a total misunderstanding, after you have let them vent, this is the hard part, you're going to be the fog. Let them vent, let them get them all out. And then when you say, when they slow, slow down, you say, is, have I heard everything you wanted to tell me right now? And if they say, yes, I've told you what I'm upset at you about, and in your mind, this is a bad misunderstanding. Believe me, I'm there more times than not, because I'm thinking, oh, if they just knew what I knew, they think everything's okay, right? Because that's a misunderstanding. And so then what you say at that point is, would you mind, would you would be willing to listen to me while I explain to you what I think is a part that you're missing, or that isn't that I may have caused a misunderstanding? Always take ownership as much as you can. I may have been part of a misunderstanding understanding here. Would you be willing to hear me out? Just don't say anything till I tell you the whole scenario and then we can talk about it. Lay down some ground rules. I'll listen to you, you be quiet and listen, and I'll, I'll be quiet and listen to you. Then when you get through, I'd like to share with you, because here's what happens, there's this shooting back and forth, the sniping stuff, right? So you lay down some ground rules and say, here's how I'd like to do this. We've got a problem we need to talk through. I'm gonna try to really hear you out. I wanna hear you out till you've said everything. And every time they slow down, you say, is there anything else? Is there anything else? And you invite it all to come. You might be even taking a few little notes to make sure you remember it all, right? And you hear them out, and you use reflective listening, and, and you can use fogging, but you're better off to use that. Reflective listening you can use while it's coming. Okay, so make sure I've got this right. What you just said is that you're really upset because I did this and this and this. Okay, and that goes on. Okay, yes, you're, okay, so you write that down. And then at the very end, you say, now do you mind if I take some time to share with you? And at that point in time, you ought to, and you say, I think there's been a misunderstanding. It may be that you that I've misunderstood. So I want to share you my perspective, and let's see if we can work this out. Do it calmly, and and then very often you can come to a resolution. Then the next step after that, by the way, is for you to admit the part that you did wrong. I can see where I didn't, I contribute to this misunderstanding. It was in the fact that I didn't do this, this, and this. Maybe harmless stuff, but whatever it was, it was real in that person's mind. Okay, yes? Um, what if you're in a situation where the person doesn't want to hear you out? They're just like, 
they don't want to hear you out. Like, after venting out on you, and it's like, okay, can I? No, it's just the one. I think the best thing to do is set those ground rules at the beginning. I'd like us to work through this. I'm wondering if you'd be willing, if I hear you out, then if you'd be willing to hear me out. And they said, no, I want to tell you how I feel, but I don't want to hear you. Then I think what I would say at that time, I'm willing to listen to you. But I don't think we'll come to resolution if I can't speak back. So I'm going to sit here and listen to you. And then when we're done, maybe we'd have prayer together. After all, we're two Christians. Maybe they're not. And then I'll leave. And you just leave it at that because you can't work it through unless they're willing to hear the other side. But you'd be surprised how much healing can come if you let them vent. Yes? I think when you have, if you're talking about your parents, this is an ongoing <laughs> historical pattern. Um, I would go to them and say, hey, Mom and Dad, I really haven't been happy with the way we've been communicating, and it kind of hurts me, and I want us to communicate better, and I've learned some really neat things this weekend, and share with them that you want to enter the healing process, and these things you've learned, and share with them some of the, and then express, you know, I've been frustrated that we can't this, I've been frustrated with how I react, I've been frustrated with how you react, but I would like for us both to use these skills. I, mean, I think it's an ideal for a turnaround in your relationship. By the way, for those of you who are here, this is our daughter, Bar my daughter Barbara. She graduated from social work here at Andrews, I mean at Andrews, at Southern. And she um, works in adoption and foster care. And my other daughter is Lisa Diller. Did she use those tactics, those tactics on y'all? Yeah, we, we did this kind of stuff in our home all the time. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, we've actually, the girls have had friends who sit around when we, believe me, <laughs> At one sister's wedding, not more than a year ago, we had a big family meltdown and all the girls got together and there were friends in there sitting watching this happen, crying, watching us work through. That. We use these things all the time. And I know that children can learn them because when we learned them, Bill and I came home and taught our kids. And then they do things like, Mom, you didn't handle that well. I don't feel listened to. You're right. Okay, let me let's start again, and I'll see if I can do reflective listening. Okay, you know, I'm, I've actually had my kids do this to me. I mean, but I taught them the skills. I want them to practice it on me. I want them to call me on it, right? And so, I can. I yeah, it's wonderful. Unless you're real uptight and insecure, you know. And it will get natural. I mean, it's the way I communicate with my boys. You know, and they're like, don't you psychology? <laughs> this is just the way I communicate now. I don't know how not to when I'm trying to deal with the conflict or trying to, you know, that's the mode I enter and that's, you know, it's become a part of us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is it possible to conflict with someone who is not honest, who will not be honest? For instance, um, someone wronged me once. I was standing outside of a door listening to them say certain things. I was so upset I didn't walk in. The next day, I approached the person and said, I'd like to speak to you about some things. I asked him privately, do you have any concerns with me or any problems? He said, no, everything's fine. I said, I gotta be honest with you. I was standing there for everything you said. I've run into that situation many times where I've tried to approach a conflict with someone and can't get any honesty. So. Um, you, you work at it. That This is because we're afraid to be honest with each other. Uh, as Christians, we live in a, um, we wear masks 
because we have a very high standard of how we should act and it doesn't include conflict and that kind of stuff. It's all the sweet little things we should be doing. And so we can talk to someone else, but we can't talk to that person. And um, I think, th let me just say to you, to the extent of your relationship will be the extent of your effort to break through that and it may take a long time. If this happens to be your spouse, you're going to work at it for a longer, more patient, more intensive at times time to straighten this out than if it is somebody that you just, maybe your roommate that you're not going to room with next semester and you're going to go your separate ways. The extent of your relationship will declare to what extent you're going to hang in there till you get to the bottom of this. What you do at the time is when you say, I heard you say this and they maybe they say, I didn't say anything. And you can say, brother, I heard you say it. And then what I would do is I would fog. I would say, you know what? I have a problem with us and so what you were talking about. And I have made a commitment to Jesus to overcome that. And I would like you to help me do it and make it very safe for them to tell you now what was bothering them. Does that make sense? First, you make it very safe, very safe. You open up the door. You might even add to the problem. Not only do I have the problem that you talked to about right then, but it's linked to another problem. You know, not only do I forget appointments that I make, I actually make two or three at the same time without keeping track. Uh, and I think, you know, if you haven't seen it, I'm aware of it. I have a problem with this, brother. And I heard you talk about it. And I, I have made a commitment to God to grow in this area. And I think you could help me. And then they're likely to be open to you. If they are not that way, if, they're, if they still don't come around, then you have to deci decide to what extent is this relationship critical to you and to what extent will you go. Gently, time, let, let th things go, come back to it again, let things go, come back to it again in your experience. Does that make sense? Okay, good. And Tim, um, if, I mean, you can put it out there. I sense that you might be afraid to be honest with me, but I want you to know that I'm open to discussing this and I'm open to what you have to say or and then add, I know that I mm -hmm. put it out there. They're not honest with you because they're not safe with you. Yeah. And that's your problem and my problem. We've got to make it safe for people to confront us. And sometimes our temperaments work against that if we're very intimidating and strong. And they've seen us blow up. My kids have seen me blow up, you know. But yet my kids, I think, pretty much, and if they have a problem with me, the extent of our relationship is important enough that they're going to confront me. And the reason I say I can think that is because I get confronted by them, okay? And so I know it happens, right? Uh -huh. What about if there's been a problem and you feel very angry? How can you go and vent out before you speak with them? Like... There's going to be a DVD on the two-minute anger management program. <laughs> and it has to do with thoughts, and it has to do with paradigms. And once you learn how you change paradigms, you will be able to apply that to most anger problems. Not all of them. But I think David's got a good model for us to prevent. I, I often go out. First off, I have to confess that sometimes I want to be mad. 
I just want to waller in it, right, for a while. Anybody else here that way? I'm not ready to give up my anger. And I tell God that. God, right now I'm so mad I can spit nails. And I don't want to get peace in my heart. I just want to tell you how mad I am, okay? So just hear me out right now. I'm just going to tell you how mad I am. And I just tell him. Now, I live in the country, so that's good. I can go out and <laughs> yell at the mountains and all that kind of thing. But you got to go somewhere where you can really tell God about it. And then evidently, after a while, you're kind of calmed down and you say, okay, I'm ready to listen, Lord, you know. Tell me what to do about it. But yeah, you can do that. And the other thing, just in short, is to try very hard. And if you're an introvert, this is going to be easier to you than, than all this spouting out kind of stuff. Uh, try very hard and even get help with someone else who knows and cares for that person to walk in their mind moccasins. Get inside their experience. When you get inside their experience, you have a paradigm shape, a change. That takes care of your anger in seconds. Like put yourself in their shoes? Yeah. But do not go and try to take care of something when you're mad. It's not going to work. It's going to only add fuel to the fire. Now, we're running out of time, but folks, I have one more skill I really want to show and talk to you about. Okay? And if you'll, in fact, I want to talk to you a little bit about forgiveness. Can you give me a couple more minutes here? Are you okay with that? The other one is... Um, the I messages and you messages. And I'm going to just really be, how many of you have been trained in I messages and you messages? Okay, we have a few people here. What would you think is the best message? The I message or the you message? Definitely the you. I. The I. The I message is owning your own problems. I thought that too. I, want, I don't want to be selfish, but we're going to illustrate this here. Basically, I'm going to ask my... I think you can talk. You think I can do it? Okay, alright. <laughs> my girls were going to do that with me. But anyway, when you give a, a win, basically you own your feelings and I get, use an illustration from our child from my raising my kids it's not it didn't I don't say it really happened it didn't happen but it could easily have happened I have four girls two boys on the end of it three three birth three adopted but in my four girls all two years apart they lived in a social time together when we had a lot of socials at our house I could easily have a social and I'm kind of very very extroverted and let's say I did something really funny during the social maybe still stupid my talk and then the home and tell my story about home and you know, something like that. And I have one daughter who comes up to me and says, You made me so embarrassed last night. Mom, don't ever do that in front of my friends again. You were just totally stupid. You act like you were trying to be some kind of teeny bopper with the rest of us. You know? You are so embarrassing. Okay, and I think, oh my goodness, I've really done wrong, and I'm trying to patch it up. But not too many minutes after that comes another daughter and says, oh, mom, you were so cool last night. My friends just loved it. They want you to do this for the talent show. Okay, it was just really great. And I'm sitting here thinking, what did I do? <laughs> you know, that's an illustration of we own our own feelings. The very same thing can happen to several people, and they have emotional responses that are different. When we say, you made me angry, we're putting blame on the other person. When we say, I get angry when these kind of things happen, I am embarrassed when this type of stuff has, I get to feeling threatened when things like this happen, we are owning our feelings. That's an I message, an I feel message. And when we say that, when you say, you make me angry, you're pulling a sword. You did this. <laughs> and they're going to pull a sword back or else go into their shell. Okay, when you say, here's my heart, I felt really betrayed when this happened. I felt really abandoned. I felt embarrassed. It's hard to pull a sword on that. So it's an, another kind of way to reduce conflict. And you own your own feelings. Guess what? You're the only person 
that decides how you feel about things because you're different from everybody else, okay? And the other person was just doing their thing, you got angry, you got embarrassed, whatever. So you don't blame them. All right, so that's an I message. So when you're telling somebody about offense that they have to them, this is the Matthew 18, you don't go in and say, you did this to me. You say, when this happened, I felt. And could I just make sure I clarify that what's really important for people like me is when you give an I message, make sure you cannot substitute the word think. Oh, thank you, Lisa. The word feel. Because if a feeling is an emotion, if you give your emotions, you don't give your opinion, don't say, you know, I feel like you did this. Um, that you could substitute, I think that you did this. And it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. That's a really important thing. Yeah, like I could say, I think our strategy in Afghanistan is totally wrong. I could say, I feel concerned about our strategy in Afghanistan because I have a son in the military, right? Now I'm expressing my feelings. I am worried. I am fearful. But if I just say, I think the strategy's wrong, or I feel the strategy's wrong, I can substitute, I think the strategy is wrong. Feel in the English language can be substituted for think. Make sure it's truly a feeling that you're expressing. If you can exchange the word feel for um, think, you don't have a feeling, you have an opinion. So when you're lifting your heart out there, identify your feeling, hand that to the other person on a platter, and rarely will they pull a sword, rarely. So that's, you're going to talk about an offense to you, give it to them from your heart, in your feelings, owning your feelings. And you're miles ahead than pulling a sword and saying, when you did this, you made me feel. Okay, got it? You know the difference now between I feel and, okay, yes. The you message? You make me angry. You make me angry. You can say, you know what, I'm really sorry that, that, that you got angry over that. You're not saying own your own feelings, but you're rephrasing it, right? I'm really sorry that, that you got angry over that. I, it wasn't my intent for you to get angry. I, it wasn't my intent to embarrass you. That's what I would say to my daughter. I am so sorry that you were embarrassed with this. That's not my intent. I don't want to make. You I don't. I don't want to make you look. I don't want to look like a fool in front of your your friends, honey. Please understand that. Okay. Now, she may have said, you made me angry, but see, I, I managed that, okay? And the last thing I want to say goes back to, and it's so important, it goes back to this story of the, of the uh, unforgiving servant, okay? You guys help me find it. Do I have I written it down here? Um, Matthew, uh, Matthew, um, where is it? 1821. 18, I knew it was in Matthew 18. Thank you, Matthew. 1821. I just have to come back here to this. I want you to look at verses 32 and 33. The heart, how many times have you been bristled by the idea that we got to forgive and then God will forgive us? I have. I mean, who am I to lead God into forgiveness? I'm a sinful human being. He's the great forgiver. Why is his forgiveness dependent upon my forgiveness? That seems backwards, and it is backwards. The story 
story of the of the the servant who owed the story of the student who owed so much and were forgiven by his master and he went out and grabbed the first guy who owed pennies to him and threw him in jail is a story of a man who was unforgiven because he didn't embrace his forgiveness. And let's hear it from the Bible itself, okay? Let's go to these verses. This, the, 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 the master, who is God, says, Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion? <coughs> on your fellow servant. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? God's forgiveness comes to us first and we have to embrace it. When I am mad at my husband for his weaknesses, when I get through wallowing around in it for a while, I start looking at my own. I start thinking of all that I've been forgiven for. It's pretty hard, like Jesus said, you without stone, without sin, cast the first stone. If you're going to go to somebody and make things right in, in a wounded relationship, count your own need for forgiveness. Count it clear, count it true. And if you don't know how much you've been forgiven, then you need someone to help lead you to that. Many of us have grown up in the church kind of not committing all those nasty immoral sins. But if you go back and look at what God hates most, he hates pride. It's the sin of Lucifer. And if you have any pride in you, you have desperate need of forgiveness. And what I want to say to you is, one of the components of making everything work out and of being able to forgive and be forgiven is to first have experienced the unbelievable matchless forgiveness of Jesus Christ, what he forgave us for. Oh my goodness, how can we stand in judgment? How can we not go humbly? And here's the true thing. This servant was unforgiven not because he wasn't given it, but because he didn't take it. He went out thinking he still owed the debt, and that's why he had to collect from his fellow men. And that's otherwise, you know if you've been for, if you owed somebody $5 million and you were going to go to prison for it and your whole family and they just forgave it, you would be out throwing a party. You would not be collecting, right? It's a sign that if we can't forgive, we haven't been forgiven. By the way, forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves, not the other person. The lack of forgiveness eats at us like a cancer. And it's the best gift we can give ourselves is to forgive someone else. Because to do it, we're going to experience that amazing forgiveness of God. Does that make sense? And oh my, that smooths the way for dealing with Matthew 18 and Matthew 5, for living it out. I'm sure there's a lot more we could share, but we're way out of time, folks. Thank you for being patient. And blessings to each of you.